a series called Questions. And so if, um, if this is your first time here, maybe your first week of this month, I kind of want to bring you up to speed with where we've been at and, and what we're hoping to do today. But, uh, but questions, we all have questions, am I right? Every single one of us in this room, we don't have it all figured out. There's nobody in all of history that has ever had it all figured out. Whether we're talking about religion or politics or family, I mean, there's always questions that we have. And so we wanna, we wanna encounter some of these big hitting questions that we might be encountering as, uh, as Christians in our society. And uh, the one thing I do know is that there's three different types of people in this room right now. There's believers those that your faith is strong in God, that you are confident in your belief system in Him and in the word, what the Word of God says. There's others of you that are maybe on the fence. You're not real sure. You're kind of kicking the tires. That's what you're doing here today. And, uh, and then there's those that you've made a decision to not believe in God. And maybe you're an atheist or a skeptic or whatnot. And um, that's great. I think you're, all of us, I think we're in, are in a great place. I think we're in the right place to be dealing with things and, and you know, working through questions and concerns that we might have. Uh, I do wanna say that today there might be a couple of things that we deal with that you might not want your young children to hear. Uh, and so we have awesome kids ministries that we wanna make available and make sure that you take advantage of those today because they may hear some words that you don't want them to hear. And then you've got some questions later this afternoon and I'm just, I'm just gonna say I told you so, all right? So like, <laughs> all right, but um, so take advantage of that. But, but questions, we've got them. Well, but, but a lot of times in church, it seems to be the place that we can't talk about the questions, right? Like I think about young people. I, th I think young people hear more communication about uh, morality and, and sexual things outside the church than inside the church. And I think that's kind of sad. All right, I think that we should be framing up uh, what we believe and why we believe it in a, in a really good way that our kids would grow up knowing why they believe what we believe, right? Not just why, I mean, it shouldn't just be they believe what we believe. It should be they believe it because they believe it. Okay, so we gotta, we gotta have some conversations. And uh, Peter, uh, in the book of First Peter and Second Peter, he actually, I believe, gives us a framework on why we should think this way. Like, like we should have knowledge of what we believe says in uh, 315, 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts honor Christ, the Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Okay, so you can know why you believe it, but it's also important the way that you say it. I think a lot of people have really good, strong belief systems, but they are horrible at communicating it. And it's, I mean, you could, I could agree with you and I still agree, disagree with you because I don't like your facial expressions and your tones. Like you're condescending me and I'm actually on the same team as you, you know, get off my back. But he's like, you should know why you believe it and be able to present a good reason for the hope that is in you, okay? And then in Second Peter 1, 5, it says, uh, it says, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and add to moral excellence, add knowledge. Okay, so faith, another uh, version says virtue, faith, virtue, and knowledge. One thing about if you add knowledge before virtue uh, in the Christian world, you, some people, they end up falling into spiritual pride. Have you ever noticed that? 
because they, they haven't had this, this virtue, this, this addition of moral excellence that's been added to their faith. And uh, so that's kind of an interesting conversation that we're not gonna get into today, but just some food for thought for you, all right? But he says, add to your faith virtue and to your virtue, knowledge. I think that we should know why we believe what we believe, that we should have a knowledge of God. I believe that our faith is not only experiential, but it's reasonable, okay? So, so we should be able to, just like you would defend uh, your political, right? Your political thought process and what side of the aisle that you stand on. I think that we should even more be able to defend and know why we believe in Jesus and the Bible and all of these things, all right? And, and maybe actually be a little bit more vocal about that, but with gentleness and respect. So, so honestly, my approach today is to talk about the subject that we're speaking about with gentleness and respect, because I know that we all don't see eye to eye on this, and that's actually, that's actually really cool with me, all right? I think, that, uh, I think that it's actually something to embrace. And so today we're gonna be talking about morality, morality. Okay, and, and, and this is actually a very difficult subject to talk about. Uh, if you're not taking the obvious Christian approach to that I believe in the Bible and I believe in God. Okay, so we're gonna kinda, I'm gonna talk, I'm gonna be devil's advocate in a couple of things, so just go with me. Don't clip out what I say, like edit it, and then like use it against me later on. Say, see over there, that church, that, just wait. Okay, let's go, <laughs> hear me out, all right? But morality, um, morals are like boundaries, kinda like a fence, all right? So they're set out, and how many of you know that a fence in your backyard is there for safety, especially if you've got kids, right? You put them in the backyard, you feel safe that they can't get out, that it's a good, good thing for them. And so, uh, so whenever people start messing with fences and boundaries, that's whenever things start, we, we gotta have a conversation about it. G.K. Chesterton said, uh, whenever you remove a fence, think first about why that fence was put there, right? If, if you're gonna start pulling up morals and, or, or boundaries, why don't we first visit why it's there in the first place? You know, kind of like the Constitution. I mean, it, it's, it was written a certain way for a certain reason. And some people don't look back to why it was written that way so they can't understand the context and the reason for the safety that was, you see what I'm saying, has a purpose, right? So before you start messing with some things, you gotta look at why it was put there in the first place. And really morals and morality can be summed up in this question, what is right and what is wrong? <laughs> Whenever we're two years old, that's what we're asking. What is right and what is wrong? Everybody wants to know it. Still today, you know, as old as people get, it's still like, well, what exact, where is the line between immoral and moral? And I mean, we have these conversations, we have debates on and on and on about what is right and what is wrong. And there's some other questions about it, such as who determines what is right and wrong? Is there somebody or something that determines where that standard is? If God exists, is he the one that dictates that? Like, is he saying this is what you have to do or is it just free for all? And uh, really with that, is, is morality objective or subjective, right? Objective meaning, is, it, is there a standard that is set that no one can change or is it subjective depending on where you come from and your experience in life? These are just some of the kind of the big hitting questions about morality and really to set our foundation for today where we're gonna launch from. I wanna show you about a five minute video that's gonna bring up some questions and I believe establish some things for us in a concise way that we can launch from. So let's go ahead and watch that video. Can you be good without God? Let's find out. 
absolutely astounding. There you have it. Undeniable proof that you can be good without believing in God. But wait. The question isn't, can you be good without believing in God? The question is, can you be good without God? See, here's the problem. If there is no God, what basis remains for objective good or bad, right or wrong? If God does not exist, objective moral values do not exist. And here's why. Without some objective reference point, we have no way of saying that something is really up or down. God's nature provides an objective reference point for moral values. It's the standard against which all actions and decisions are measured. But if there's no God, there's no objective reference point. All we're left with is one person's viewpoint, which is no more valid than anyone else's viewpoint. This kind of morality is subjective, not objective. It's like a preference for strawberry ice cream. The preference is in the subject, not the object. So it doesn't apply to other people. In the same way, subjective morality applies only to the subject. It's not valid or binding for anyone else. So, in a world without God, there can be no evil and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. God has expressed his moral nature to us as commands. These provide the basis for moral duties. For example, God's essential attribute of love is expressed in his command to love your neighbor as yourself. This command provides a foundation upon which we can affirm the objective goodness of generosity, self-sacrifice, and equality. And we can condemn as objectively evil, greed, abuse, and discrimination. This raises a problem. Is something good just because God wills it, or does God will something because it is good? The answer is neither one. Rather, God wills something because He is good. God is the standard of moral values, just as a live musical performance is the standard for a high-fidelity recording. The more a recording sounds like the original, the better it is. Likewise, the more closely a moral action conforms to God's nature, the better it is. But if atheism is true, there is no ultimate standard. So there can be no moral obligations or duties. Who or what lays such duties upon us? No one. Remember, for the atheist, humans are just accidents of nature, highly evolved animals. But animals have no moral obligations to one another. When a cat kills a mouse, it hasn't done anything morally wrong. The cat's just being a cat. If God doesn't exist, we should view human behavior in the same way. No action should be considered morally right or wrong. But the problem is, good and bad, right and wrong, do exist. Just as our sense experience convinces us that the physical world is objectively real. Oh. Our moral experience convinces us that moral values are objectively real. Every time you say, Hey, that's not fair. That's wrong. That's an injustice. You affirm your belief in the existence of objective morals. We're well aware that child abuse, racial discrimination and terrorism are wrong for everybody, always. Is this just a personal preference or opinion? No. The man who says that it is morally acceptable to rape little children is just as mistaken as the man who says two plus two equals five. What all this amounts to then is a moral argument for the existence of God. If God does not exist, objective moral values and duties do not exist. But objective moral values and duties do exist. Therefore, 
God exists. Atheism fails to provide a foundation for the moral reality every one of us experiences every day. In fact, the existence of objective morality points us directly to the existence of God. You see, yeah, if you start messing with one thing, you start messing with another, and it starts growing into this complex situation that you have to begin to wade through. And, and can I just be honest with you, as Christians, sometimes we simplify things down to a simple statement versus really thinking through, wait a minute. I asked somebody the other day, I said, where does morality come from? And they were like, the Bible. <laughs> I said, yeah, but like further than that. Uh, you know, it... it we gotta think through these things. Why? Because there's a hope that's within us. We've gotta have a reason for that hope. And morality is one of the ways that we can communicate the fact that God exists and he is good. And he is the source of all that is good. But the most influential philosophy opposed to a moral standard is moral relativism. And I don't know why there's a question mark at the end of that. <laughs> moral relativism. <laughs> that's not a question, that's a statement. The most influential philosophy opposed to a moral standard is moral relativism, which is basically what's good for me is good for me, and what's good for you is good for you. Like, it's all good. Like, you live your life and I'll live mine, and we're like the astronauts in the middle of space with no world around it. We don't even know what's up and down, but it's good. So like, leave us alone in our misunderstandings and our whatever, but we're not gonna judge each other, right? Because we don't judge in 2018 because we are all very tolerant. <laughs> we're tolerant because you're supposed to be tolerant. I have this whole concept that tolerance doesn't actually exist. It's actually just where your level of intolerance begins, but it's whatever, because we're all actually very intolerant. It just depends. Where, where does your intolerance begin? You know what I'm saying? Like, or how do you express your intolerance? Because that's, anyway, whatever. What's good for me is good for me, and what's good for you is good for you. That's the basis of moral relativism. And it, I want to read this. The opposite of moral relativism is moral absolutism. So we have these two, these two uh, uh, thought processes. Moral relativism is the idea that knowledge, truth, and morality are not universal or objective, but dependent on or related, uh, related to uh, what culture you were raised in, what environment you're raised in, right? By contrast, moral absolutism is the idea that there is morality and knowledge that exists beyond cultures or societies that have always existed and are true regardless. Everybody in this room, you're in this somewhere. Some of you might've been, you might've been raised up with this objective mindset, but the older that you've gotten, you've gotten uh, exposed to different concepts and it's really almost converted you over to this mindset of relativism. And you approach every conversation from that. And like, I don't assume that all of us have this objective mindset because that's not the case anymore. One thing that, that I could tell you is this, is that as generations progress, every, this is just what I see. Every generation is redefining and, and, and trying to start from scratch on their morality. Uh, families, kids don't build with their parents or their family's businesses anymore. Why? They've got to be self-made. I got to do my own thing. And we even take that and apply that to morality, which is like, we don't want to look at the past. We don't, I don't want any reference point. I just want to look at humanity 
and what's needed for now. And the problem with that is that we fall into this category and it's simply humanism. We start living life based upon what we feel and it's totally, it's, it, it's totally subjective because there's no standard. There's no absolute. Society shifts and all of a sudden our belief systems shift and it's all built upon this whole like, like humanistic, I gotta be me, originality, right? Everybody's their own person. But this whole concept is, no, is nothing new. We think that it is because it's our world right now, 2018. I think the older that you get, the more uh, perspective you have on the fact that, man, 20 years ago, this was just in a different form, but it's the same exact thing. But as young people, guess what? This is groundbreaking. It's the first time ever. Nobody's ever thought these thoughts before, right? <laughs> we're gonna be the new generation that doesn't. Yeah, we're just doing the same thing that somebody else has done. Give you an example back in Proverbs, it says this. There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes. This is a long time ago, by the way. Yet is not washed from its filth. So in their own eyes, everything seems good. All right, it's kind of like being clean on the front, but you sat in some mud, okay? And uh, you turn it around, everybody's like, oh gosh, you know, what happened there? What, I'm fine. Yeah, dude, ha, huh? you know, what's going on? Right, it's the same thing. A few weeks ago, we had one of those days where our, our six-year-old Ariana was, uh, she's playing outside, probably one of the only days she actually played outside most of the day. Come on, man, it's so sad. But anyway, she's outside having a good time and uh, she comes back inside, whatever, seven o'clock. They say, okay, you gotta go take a bath. So she goes, takes a bath. She gets out, her hair is all wet. She's got the cute little nightgown on, getting ready for bed. You know what I'm talking about. It's like the best time of night. And uh, until it's three in the morning and she still has wet hair and a gown and then it's freaky and scary. <laughs> Me and Aideen laugh all the time. She just did it again a couple nights ago. The door comes flinging open at 3 a.m. I can't see anything. And then all of a sudden it's like, <gasps> she's like, dad. I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> like, baby, you gotta, you gotta walk in slowly saying, hey y'all, it's me, I'm okay. Like, come in with a flashlight or something, turn a light on. I'd rather be like blinded than just this ominous little bitty girl. <laughs> anyway, um, so she comes, we, 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 no, she doesn't come in at night, that was another story. We are there, she takes a bath, it's bedtime. We go to the, we go to the bed, she, we're gonna do the night, nighttime prayer thing, you know, and, and have nighttime prayers and it's all good, it's all sweet. And, and she, she sits down in the bed and she flings her feet up on the bed. Yeah, you know. And what we behold in our little cute daughter, there's like hobbit feet. I don't know, it's <laughs> so dirty, it's disgusting like black on this side, like underneath the toenail was like dirt and grime. And it was like, beautiful daughter, you know? And she's in bed, ready for bed. And so we stopped and we're like, did you even wash your feet? And she was like, you know, (laughs) I thought I did. And it was disgusting. Her feet were horrible. She thought she was clean. She thought it was all good. I mean, cute little nightgown, smells good, except for the feet. And a lot of times, that's where we're at as a generation is like, we feel like we're good. Things are good. We're right in our own eyes. And then all of a sudden you look at the feet and it's disgusting. It's grimy. Why? Because there's really no reference point. If she wasn't raised in a household that taught her that you shouldn't have, you know, dirty feet and clean toenails, she wouldn't know the difference, right? There'd be no, no training in that. And there's a generation that feels like their standards and their ideas, ideals are proper. 
but they're just repeating the same thing. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. I wanna challenge you with something quickly and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of clear it up towards the end a little bit more, but all of our ways all lead to death. Like in and of itself, if you pick up the word of God and you begin to read it and you begin to do what the Bible says in regards to actions, that still leads to death. All of our ways lead to death. Left to ourselves, there's no hope. So every way that we try, it's all dead ends. Obviously there's an out. I'm not gonna leave you, you know, hanging on that, but it doesn't matter what you do in and of itself. All ways lead to death. Proverbs 21, 2, all a man's ways seem right to him. If your way didn't seem right, you wouldn't do it. Most of us, there's some who know it's not right and they still do it on purpose. But for the, for the, for the majority of us, we all wanna do what's right. But it seems right to us, that's why we do it. But the Lord evaluates the motives. And that's something that you can't always see. Even in and of yourself, our motives get distorted. They get off, but God weighs the heart it's really because God's ways are above our own, all right? If God exists, he sets the standard and his moral standard is, is above ours. And so what happens whenever we encounter a situation, a moral standard that we don't see eye to eye with or don't agree with? First Corinthians says something about this. It says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Those opinions and those arguments that are raised up in opposition to the knowledge of God, we destroy those. We, we, we put those down and we take every thought captive. I want you to picture that every thought that comes in out of nowhere, capturing that thought and we, we, we cause it to obey Christ. We cause it to be submitted to the standard that God has, has uh, communicated and set in play. Now that's not subjective at all, right? It's totally objective. That is the way that you would live your life as a believer when it comes to these opinions and these arguments, whenever they are in opposition to the knowledge of God. So what does this look like in our culture? What does moral relativism look like in our culture? The, the big hitting topic right now, and probably forever, has been sexual immorality. It's the big thing. Sexuality, identity, Who's right, who's wrong? Was somebody born that way? Is there a gene? All, all, of, all of those things, all those arguments and, and quarrels, um, we, have a, we have an issue with them as a culture, collectively. We're all Americans. So as an American culture, we have these questions and these issues. And uh, I wanna to define to you what sexual immorality is biblically. And it's this, it's any sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. All right, that's, that's pretty much the simplest way that I can, I can put it to you today is any activity outside of that. And that is a standard that is set on all of us. Heterosexual, homosexual, bi, uh, you know, anything. It's, it's all a standard that is set on us. Um, and I'll put it to you like this. I, I was born heterosexual, all right? Like I've never struggled with identity issues. I've never struggled with, with same-sex attraction. But even in my heterosexuality, right, the Bible has put a standard around my way of living that I adhere to, right? One wife, that's it. Now, I am a natural person 
who is attracted to more than just my wife. Is that okay to say? Are we, are we like in church okay to say that, okay? Can we be real, all right? It's not like you get married and all of a sudden you have blinders on. But God has said per his word, and Jesus actually raised the standard, am I right? And he put boundaries around my personal life. And that boundary is the same for all of us. It's the biblical standard of what is sexually moral. Now, people make their own choices and they can live outside of that. And, and we have free wills. But does that change what the moral standard is per the Bible? No, of course not. See, uh, that's the argument. Well, thing, we've progressed. We, we're progressing as a culture. Okay, so sociologically, we may be progressing, okay? And I'll put quotations around that word. We might be digressing, but anyway. Uh, the moral standard has not shifted. Well, in churches, they used to say this, and now they say that. Well, again, men, we got some issues, y'all, okay? Does that change God's standard for all of time? Absolutely not. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. His standard never shifted. We do. See that? So the whole argument that you could use sexual immorality and, and take some Bible verses and make all this thing out of, no. Men are messed up and men have made a lot of mistakes. It doesn't change who God is. And it doesn't change his standard for us. And, and you, know, you know, I say this with a lot of, of grace and um, I, really, I really mean what I'm about to say. Um, because there's some that really struggle with same-sex attraction. Uh, in the church, come on, y'all, let's not be naive, man. People, I mean, attraction to, you know, different types of people, and, and they struggle with that. And then, you know, they come to a church, or they get around some people who believe differently, and then they just get, with no gentleness and no respect, they get ostracized. And, and guess what? This doesn't end up being any sort of safe place to have that conversation. It ends up being a place to avoid. And... So even in that, God has still set a standard. And so in that situation, there still is a standard that is on your life. And it's hard to take for some people. It's hard to just swallow that pill and just say, all right. But there's, there's nothing outside of that. And I, I think it's actually very simple. I know it's not, okay? <laughs> I know it's not, but I think it's very simple and clear with what the word of God says. Now we can, we can make all the choices that we want. And right now in our life, we can all make our choices. The, the, the thing is, is that we can control our choices, but we can't control the results of them. All of us. We can, we can make our choices and those could be based upon our subjective view of, of morality or society or whatever, but the results of them, at the end of the day, they're solidified. And uh, this isn't popular, I'm, I'm okay with that. But these are questions that we have. If we don't start the conversation and talk about it, um, can I be real? We'll have a generation of people that are raised up who never hear truth. And they never hear the word of God. And so they have nothing to stand on. And so guess what? Those other arguments and those other opinions are gonna, gonna sound so much better because you can actually sink your teeth into them versus us. It's just, well, just don't do it. Well, that's not good enough. It's not good enough. Give a reason for the hope that's within you. We gotta search the scriptures. Is it difficult? Yes, it's difficult at times. Are there gray areas? Yes, there's gray areas, right? The Bible gives us some, some boundaries though. The Bible gives us some of these, these moral standards and what they look and sound like. And this is it, Galatians 5. It says, now the works of the flesh, okay? This is in your own sinful nature. This is how you would act. Uh, they're obvious, 
They're very obvious, the Bible says. Number one, sexual immorality. That's what it looks like. Moral impurity, promiscuity, having a lot of different partners. Idolatry, and that's a word that we don't use a lot nowadays, but that word can mean a lot of different things, not just some sort of statue sitting in your home that you bow down to and worship or whatever. Uh, it can literally be good sounding things, just life. Life can become an idol in, in our life, okay? All right, our, our, our just our Monday through Friday, our job, our trying to get ahead in life, right? It could become an idol in our life. Sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy. Again, jealousy is something that, that we misappropriate or, or miss, I guess, a label at times. Sometimes it's a, uh, it's a goal, right? Like I have a goal, but really what it is, is that person, like you want to accomplish what they're accomplishing. And like, it's almost this deep seated thing and it's a goal, but actually it's this jealous, this envious, the Bible says it right here. It talks about envy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, Come on, drunkenness and carousing. I like that word, carousing around. That sounds like something my dad would have told me when I was like 14. <laughs> You're not gonna go out with your friends and go carousing all over town, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that was funnier than y'all gave me credit for, um, I think, personally, but it's fine. It's fine. Wild parties. And, and you know what's funny about all of these things is everybody wants to know the line. You know what I'm talking about? Drunkenness. What are you going to say about drunkenness, right? And if you've been in church or you're raised in it a long time, you, you got this one perception. But if you're, you, you weren't raised in that, then you have this other perception. The Bible is just says, don't be drunk, right? How about yesterday in the freedom retreat? We kind of hit on that a little bit, right? Everybody wants a line. They want a standard. They want to know. Some people want to know because they don't know for themselves. So they want somebody to tell them. Other people want to know so they can figure out how they don't agree with you in order to break you down. But everybody wants to know, what's, where's the line? Where, drunkenness, carousing, wild parties. Where's the line where I am in an environment that is now crossed over from just some people hanging out to a wild party that really that environment is displeasing to God? And maybe I shouldn't be a part of that. And maybe I shouldn't be a part of it unless I'm in the environment, but in opposition to the environment. Not picketing it with <laughs> like some sort of sign, but just... There's a difference between being involved in an environment and being placed in an environment where some things are going on that you don't agree with, but you're not participating in it, right? You're not agreeing, it's, it's totally different. That's why I say you start putting lines all over the place. You start, at some point, people will try to put lines and they end up being a Pharisee. They end up being very legalistic. And uh, we're not gonna be a church like that, okay? But I would say that today and what we're talking about that um, we're definitely not compromising, but we're also not legalistic. We're gonna read the word of God and we're gonna interpret it to the best of our ability and live it out. Y'all with me on that? So carousing, and then I love this, I love this, and anything similar. So for all of you that are like, oh, he didn't say this, yes. Anything similar. Well, what is similar? I, I, I don't know. What is it for you? What is the thing that whenever you actually submit your heart and, and say, God, would you expose things in my heart that aren't right? motives and thoughts that just are impure. God, would you expose it so that way I can, you know, be closer to you, right? That I can relent from those things that would separate me from you and knowing you and understanding you and operating in the authority that you give me. Lord, would you just help me? 
A lot of people don't, they're not praying those prayers. They're just saying, what can I, what, what is right and what is wrong? Am I right? What is right, what is wrong, am I right? Yeah. It's a situation that we live in. But another question is why live a moral life? And what's the point of it? Why live a moral life? Well, I wanna let you know that, that the benefits of, of living a moral life are undeniable. And this applies, and when I say moral now, I'm talking about biblically moral life, okay? That, that whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, living a biblically moral life has benefits for you. And the reason is this, God has set out a, a pattern in this world that applies to all of us. I'll use some examples, stewardship. If you take care of your money and you take care of your possessions, just like the Bible talks about, being a good steward, more than likely, generally speaking, you're gonna have more success in those things. You're gonna have more money. You're gonna have nicer things, right? Because why? You're following the, the, the pattern that God implemented, that God created. Relationships, if you love people, if you're gentle and honorable to people, generally speaking, you're gonna have better relationships. Did you know that you can have a wonderful marriage and not be saved? Okay, <laughs> there's a lot of people that don't, they're not believers in God, but they have wonderful marriages. Why? Because they have a great marriage. Why? They, they, live, they, they, they operate in proper principles in their relationship and it's wonderful. So it, you know, kind of move some of that away from your thinking, like, like everything's gonna be trash without, you know, believing in Jesus. Actually, no, people actually live great lives without Jesus. They do. Why? Because these standards, these moral absolutes that God has put into place, some of them are just patterns and the rhythms and you can abide by them and have really a good life. The problem though, is that these benefits are temporary. This is what first Timothy says. It says, for the training of the body has a limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way. What converts good to godly or right to righteous? Those are two very different things. I can be good, but not be godly. And I can be right, but not be righteous before God. I was talking to somebody a couple of years ago and I, and I was talking about justification and salvation and, and trying to explain it in a better way. And I said, okay, so I am a guy that is uh, trying to be a good dad, a good father, a good, uh, a good husband, uh, good in my vocation and, and just be an all around good guy, okay? And then there's this other guy over here who's what we would label a deadbeat. He doesn't take care of his kids, he's walked out, he's just dishonest, all of those things, right? And, and in that, it's very easy for us to label this person here as he's a godly man, you know? Just, he's godly and this guy's ungodly whenever really in fact, the thing that converts God good to, to godly and this is what I was telling him is the fact that I've done this right here to Jesus, that I've submitted my heart to him and my life to him, right? That I've, I've changed my belief system and I don't trust myself, but I trust in him. That's the thing that actually converts anything. If you don't think that way and you approach it from a right and a good mindset, you're, you're on a slippery slope to spiritual pride because then it starts becoming about what you do to attain salvation and right standing with God, what you do versus 
who you are. And man, we are born into a situation that we are separate from God, like at the core of who we are. And it's not about doing a lot of good to get to God. It's about coming up against the giant wall of unrighteousness and realizing you've fallen short of the standard and there's nothing you can do to attain that and make that jump. And you say, God, I'm at your mercy. I need your grace. And in that moment, in that belief, in that submission of your heart to God and his standard and his, his way of living, it's like God sweeps down off that cliff and picks you up out of that miry clay, right? Out of the pit. That's what the Bible talks about. I think it's so important that we approach it from that standpoint because you could be right and you could be good, but you cannot be righteous and godly just based upon those standards. So for all of you that are like, man, I've been trying really hard. That's awesome. Like, I think that we should all try really hard. But in the same time, if you're trying really hard to attain God's approval, you're gonna be trying really hard forever because those benefits are just for this life. They're not eternal. That's what he was saying in 1 Timothy. These, these benefits are eternal, but all of these benefits, they only come through Jesus. They only come through Jesus. John 14, six says this, Jesus speaking, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you read the word of God with an open heart and an open mind, you'll see all throughout scripture how things are pointing to man is helpless without God, hopeless without God, and cannot be cleansed without God. We'll just be a generation that thinks we're clean and then all of a sudden we look under our feet and there's just mud and grotesque stuff happening, right? We're at the mercy of God. And Jesus is like, hey guys, I'm the doorway to that. It's me. And a lot of people didn't see it. A lot of people today still don't see it. But the Holy Spirit is drawing all men to himself. And I believe that in this room today, that there's a lot of you who God's drawing you. But I wanna read a quote from C.S. Lewis to kind of frame up this thought a little bit better. He said, fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. We don't just need to be improved, guys. We have to surrender. And right now, I believe that some of you are at a point of surrender. You might have not agreed with everything that we said today. And that's fine. I understand it. Opposition, right? Whenever we have a, a mindset and something's opposed to it, there's friction. But at the end of the day, I believe that some of you are feeling something deep down inside of you where up here in your mind, you're having trouble reconciling the whole belief system and all these do's and don'ts and everything that we just talked about. But, but in here in your heart, there's this tug of war that says, I don't fully understand it, but, but there's something there's something about it that's true. I just feel like, I just feel like I need just to, to surrender in order to understand. The faith we have is reasonable but it is also experiential. And I believe that some of you today, you need to experience the grace and the love of God that changes your heart. It changes your thought process. It changes your approach to why you're on this earth and gives you hope in the future. So right now, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? The gospel message, the good news is, is very simple because God made it that way. He, he sent Jesus, his son, his only son to this earth to live a life of purity and holiness and do something that we could not do. And then in that purity and in that holiness, die 
in a horrible way and shed his blood, but that blood, that life was the payment for our sin and covers us. And we could be clothed in his righteousness, not our own. So right now, if you're in this place and you believe in that, you say, today, I wanna make a decision to follow Jesus, to follow this good news. The Bible says, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and, and God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. It's a free gift of salvation. If you're in this place right now and you wanna believe and take a step forward right now, let's pray together. You don't have to say exactly what I say, but pray to your God and submit your heart to him right now. Say, God, I come before you humbly and broken. God, with nothing really to show, God, it's, it's, it's all gonna fall short. And right now I realize that. And so I place my heart at your feet, my life, all that I am at your feet. And I surrender my heart to you right now. And I receive your righteousness and your forgiveness and your salvation for my life. I believe in you, I trust in you. Help me, Lord, to, to turn from my unrighteous ways, God. Change my desires, God, deep down inside, change who I am. Lord, I wanna operate by your morality, God, not my own. So Lord, I surrender to you, I love you, and thank you. And in Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen, come on, can we give it up for those who gave their hearts to God today? Thanks so much for watching Northwood Church. Wherever you're watching from, we want you to know that we consider you family. We as a church wanna help people know God, and our hope is that today you are encouraged and closer to God through this program. If you just prayed that prayer, first let me say congratulations. Starting your relationship with God is the best decision you can make, but it's also just a start, and we want to help you on your journey of faith. If you're watching and you want to become a partner in what God is doing in South Mississippi through Northwood Church, you can give simply by texting the amount you want to give to the number 228-215-3421. Again, that number is 228-215-3421. By giving, you're helping local food pantries, women's resource centers, missions, outreaches, and so much more. Even just $5 can go a long way. Again, text the amount to 228-215-3421. Northwood is one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and Long Beach, Mississippi, and we'd love to see you there. You can check out our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. Be sure to connect with us at northwood.tv or on social media to stay up to date with all the exciting things happening around Northwood Church. Thank you for watching, and we hope to see you soon.